0: You're listening to a podcast from 7 2 The
1: Literature Corner. And today I have the distinct pleasure of being in conversation with journalist and author uh, Brent uh, Mearsman, who has written an incredibly moving, a really, really absolutely brilliant memoir, A Childhood Made Up, subtitled Living With My Mother's Madness. I highly recommend it. One of my favorite reads in this genre, uh, memoir, that is, in the last couple of years, and I read a lot of um, memoir in particular. I've just uh, developed an interest in them uh, in recent times especially, so um, it means something uh, as a recommendation to say that I really think it's one of the best ones I've read uh, in recent years. Incredible, incredible work. Brent, good morning to you, and thank you so much for joining me on the show.
0: Oh, good morning, Eusebius. Thank you, and it's it's readers like you that keep us
1: writing. Well, it's uh, fellow writers like you that keep the rest of us envious about uh, whether or not we can match how good you've been in your last effort. Um, congratulations, first and foremost. It's very difficult to write from mm. a position of experience because it requires you to go deep into the kind of work you have done with a psychoanalyst. And um, that isn't easy mm. to simultaneously produce from an authorial point of view, an excellent creative work, but one that clearly would have taken you on many painful journeys. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it was. It was quite a process. It was. A, it's the most, by far, the most difficult book that I've you know ever had to write. Um, and it took me a long time to get there. It, it was always a story that I knew I wanted to tell, and I thought was important to tell hmm. for a variety of reasons. Um, but uh, I didn't think I was a good enough writer, you know, to, to actually express it and articulate it mm. uh, because it was so challenging. And having, you know, got a number of books behind me um, and I felt, okay, I've reached a position now where I can actually, I think I can attempt to tell the story. Um, and I think also, you know, uh, being a writer is also about how you develop as a, as a person. I mean, that's a very important part of being a writer. And I thought I sort of had reached the kind of maturity enough um, to be able to to really deal with this uh, subject and also, you know, go into psychoanalysis myself. Yeah. Which was, very much like betraying my mother, and that's how I felt about it initially, because, <laughs> of course, she, <laughs> she no, didn't want to have much to do with that profession. <laughs> the
1: book is about the entire family. It's about you. It's about siblings. It's about dad. But as the title says, it's centrally about mom because mom's diagnosis with schizophrenia had a profound effect on the entire family, first and foremost on her and her own well-being, her own subjectivity, and then, of course, on you as the kids in the house, her relationship with people as well. And there are just so many dimensions uh, uh, to this. Um, it's a subject that doesn't often get examined, as you have said in other interviews as well. As, as much mm-hmm. as it should, even though there are many people who will listen to this conversation that are living with diagnosed or undiagnosed psychiatric conditions in themselves or in family. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell us, uh, particularly what it was like. I mean, as a child and there's just so many snapshots mm-hmm. of from childhood that is in this, in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I can, uh, in that regard, just read a randomly I started making notes, where, what I wanted to read from, then I stopped after a while because there are mm. too many beautiful moments. <laughs> um, but I'm going to read this, and and then you will take over uh, from here. Um, and sure. this was young, young Brent trying to fall asleep, and then something happened during the night, and he writes on page 68 the following. Perhaps I drifted off to sleep, but later that night, something I've never been able to recall exactly what made me sit bold upright. It might have been an unusual noise or the pains in my leg bones that often woke me, which Papa said were growing pains. Paul Henry was fast asleep, breathing heavily through his nose. He was lucky. He slept like a log. Maybe because of the antihistamines he took. I hardly ever slept a night right through. The phone screen was gone. Nothing was happening anymore on the curtain, just the same old dusty curtains with their apple-red roses and leaf pattern that had always been there. I tiptoed out of the bedroom. A block of the loose wooden flooring stuck to my bare foot. Then I saw her. She was squatting in the middle of the passage dressed in her pink nightie. Her eyes were open, staring, glassy, as big as saucers. Her hair was wet and hung in strands. She was on her haunches peeing, but the liquid pooling on the wooden floor was neon green. Mummy? The next thing I recall is Paul Paul Henry and I being bundled into blankets. My aunt and uncle had come to fetch us. I remember it was a big white Mercedes Benz, like a boat come to evacuate us from our troubled island. Papa said mummy had to be taken to the doctor. Everything would be all right, but she was sick. A bad migraine, worse than ever. I knew this Was somehow not true. I'd seen. I mean, it's incredible how visceral your recollection is of what you had witnessed in Mom. Mm.
0: Yes, there was.
1: Yeah, they came back.
0: um, You know, during the during the process of the psychotherapy, but there were certain moments that were fresh and surprised me when you know when I when I recalled them. Uh, but, but that particular memory I'd always had and it was very, very strange. Um, and the psychotherapist had said that, you know, because if your mother's you can't recognise, or she looks strange. You feel like an alien's invaded her, and mm-hmm. I think that that was often the feeling. I think that is a feeling that that one has. You know, what you know, why is mommy behaving this way? Um, and there was a great lack of information. Um, but also, it's interesting talking about it because you know, as a writer, you you really confide in the page in a very in a very private and, and personal way. Yes, um, and then I think with the reader as well, the yeah. reader's in reading it, and you also in this private time right. and space, yeah, reading it. But but then to talk about it like we're doing now, um, <laughs> it often can surprise me. It often can catch me. off oh my God. I know that because feeling uh, because then
1: your private words are right back at you and then you're in dialogue. <laughs> it's a very surreal thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Can we talk about but, creativity? Um, your mom, mm. I think one of the most mm. beautiful things about your recollection of mom is that, mm. sure, this book mm. is going to do a lot to help us talk. Comfortably about discomfort and about being diagnosed mm-hmm. sometimes wrongly with certain psychiatric conditions, but also mm-hmm. how, and you've said it to my, to my colleague Pippa in a different interview. We sometimes are also mm-hmm. quite reductionist in how we view persons that have been diagnosed with schizophrenia because then we see them through the medical lens. But your mom mm-hmm. was an incredible artist. She was far more than mm-hmm. mom that happens to have a particular condition. Yeah,
0: yes, and I, and I think that the, that relationship between art and work is, is also something which really needs to be uh, um, explored. So there are many, there's certainly a relationship between, let's say, mental conditions or sort of the, out of the ordinary um, states of mental mind and, uh, and, and artistic expression. But I don't think that we should always see them through, the, through that prism. And I think that she would have probably been a much greater artist had she not um, uh, been diagnosed with schizophrenia and had she not had... Had all these other mental phenomena intruding on her and then having to be medicated, you know, and the medication really sort of in a way cut off her creativity because that's not to say that she, you know, she had to be schizophrenic in order to create, but the treatment for the schizophrenia often limited her inner creations. Um, so, so there's that, I, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I, I believe that we need to engage with this whole issue and we use these words like mental illness, uh, yeah. you know, mental disease, mm. you know, that whole language. And I think we do have to actually revisit it and it is being revisited. Um, but most people don't know what schizophrenia is at all. You know, they, you know, they think of dissociative personality. What is, is it? Tell people who,
1: who conflate it with or just use it anonymously oh. with a whole range of other terminologies.
0: Yeah, okay. So I think it's important to know that it's, uh, first of all, it's not dissociative identity disorder, which is that whole thing of multiple personalities. Mm -hmm. And that is what most people, and and we use that in common parlance. We say, you know, so-and-so's attitude to the, you know, is schizophrenic towards something if they constantly, if they contradict themselves. Yes. So, but that, and so that's the common parlance and then it's usually used very loudly. But when you talk about schizophrenia in its actual sense, which is a um, of a mental condition that's usually whispered i've noticed <laughs> you know that the actual right. the, the correct usage of it is not uh, said out loud um but it's also it's so basically it's a diagnosis um and there's a number of different criteria um but mostly it goes i think what sets it aside from things like neurosis and other things and i'm not a medical expert like donald trump but um <laughs> it's uh, Uh, But it's also something which you cannot, you, you can't test for. So if you've got, if you've got COVID-19, we know you can test, you've got the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Mm. If you've got tuberculosis, you know, you can test for the, for the, for, you know, for the, for the bacteria. So. Uh, uh, the, the 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 thing with schizophrenia is that it's just a diagnostic category. Yes, um, it doesn't exist. You can't do an objective test. You can't look at under the microscope and see something, um, not even with brain scans and that. So it's a much more diffuse thing. And then I think most of them, the you know, the psychiatrists basically have got um, a manual, a diagnostic manual, and that keeps changing over the years and the categories keep shifting. But then they say, okay, there's there's five conditions or whatever that we look at. And if you have all five of these symptoms and they persist for more than something like three weeks… We would then categorize you as schizophrenic. Mm. Um, and in the case of my, my mom, it was she, she heard voices, she had various paranoid delusions and things. Um, and then those could develop to the point as that extract that you read, where she really slips into psychosis and she's, she's completely lost in her own mind. She's no longer with us, you, she's no longer engaged.
1: You with obviously us. loved mm. your mom deeply. This is an incredible tribute to someone that mm. lived fully. Were you scared of them mm. simultaneously? Um,
0: I don't. I think there were one or two. There were one or two incidents where, when, where I was frightened. Yeah, you know, and and maybe disorientated. Um, and I think that that's certainly when I was very very young. But she was a very kind, very loving woman. Um, so I don't think I was ever frightened of her or scared of her at all. Mm. Um, just often confused and often trying to work out, you know, what was actually going on in the home. And then I think I kind of like became the parent from, you know, more or less from the age of 12. <laughs> um, I was sort of, you know, the adult in the house. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I had to – and then really, you know, we were either – you know, this is the other thing: is that there are. Not a lot of memoirs by people who who have had schizophrenia because of the nature of the condition. You have to have insight to that condition, yes. and just because you have the insight doesn't mean you can necessarily articulate it. But there are a number of those books. I mean, there's a dime a dozen of of, of manic, of bipolar, and and depression. But schizophrenia is extremely difficult. Um, and then of course there are all the you know the family and the children that it impacts on. And I found that there's almost nothing in the literature. I really searched and searched. There are very very mm. few books. Which um, which is also why I thought I, I needed to write this because of course it impacts on so many families
1: absolutely um, and
0: it's a and it's a lifelong condition mm. it doesn't go away mm. um, so you know it's got to be dealt with uh, you know either stabilised or but it doesn't it doesn't vanish um, at any point I want to read another so passage
1: from from the book yeah. where you talk about one of those early childhood incidents as well on page eighty three Brent writes the following. Mom said there were no such things as ghosts and such stories were downright nonsense, but that night I felt something was once again waiting in the passageway for me. I wanted to get a glass of cold water. As I neared the toilet door, I sensed there was someone lurking in the kitchen. Could I have heard breathing or faint movement? I was trembling, but I tiptoed cautiously to the kitchen door. I was just tall enough now to reach the light switch that light switch uh, which that uh, that light which would chase away anything wicked and skulking but in the glare of the naked ceiling bulb I saw my mother standing alongside the fridge facing out with her bare with her back to the wall her arm was raised the biggest knife in the kitchen in her hand ready to stab her eyes were green like a cat's but big unfocused "'as if they were stalking empty space. "'Who's there?' she said. "'Who's there? Who?' like an owl. "'It wasn't that Mum didn't recognise me. "'Rather, it was as if she had been struck by blindness. "'Brent,' I said. "'Mummy, it's me, Brenty.' "'Her head turned. "'She seemed to see now. "'The knife hand dropped down to her side. "'She frowned. "'What?' she asked, puzzled. "'Come to bed, Cheryl. "'It was Papa behind me.' "'He took her gently by the hand.' And she went meekly with him to their bedroom, still carrying the knife. Who or what she heard or seen? Who had my mother thought was threatening her? All that night, the light was on in my parents' bedroom. I eventually fell asleep. The next morning, my mother was taken back to Stickland Psychiatric Hospital. This time, she was there for only 39 days. But a year later, she would once again be back in that place. Now, That for me is absolutely incredible. You talk about Falkenberg Mm -hmm. and about this uh, psychiatric hospital, particularly what they were like Mm in the 50s. They were incredibly Mm -hmm. harsh environments and a very important theme Mm -hmm. in this memoir is also examining, quite frankly, what often bordered on and was downright human rights abuses and medical experimentation, Mm -hmm. including electric shock therapy.
0: Mm. yes um yeah in the 1950s falkenberg wasn't the caring loving institution that it is i mean it's really a remarkable place now and and there's a lot of good work and such dedication um and and people still have this kind of you know falkenberg oh you know this kind of i I, I actually hear it from people i actually hear people talking about it in ghoulish terms yeah i'm sort of like that's you know and that's quite upsetting to me privately um, and I often feel, you know, these people could actually be talking about my mother. They don't actually realize that at all. So the lack of awareness around it is is still very much with us. Mm. But the profession itself, the psychiatric profession and, and psychologists have, have made a lot of progress. I don't think they really understand it um, fully. Even to this day, I think we're still in the Middle Ages in understanding the disease, but we're definitely getting better at the way we treat there I use the word disease. You see, it's just part of the, yeah. <laughs> it's oh, part lexicon, of the discourse.
1: Yeah.
0: Um yeah. But Falkenberg, yeah, you know, she had uh, four years of shock therapy. Um uh and it was it wasn't something she had volunteered for, so it was administered against her will, um, which I think must have made it you know, it far did make it far, far worse. Um a lot of those descriptions I have from her diaries, so And then in the last years of her, her life, she lived with me and we had, I was at a, at a stage where I could really, we could actually talk about it. Um, we had long conversations and that's what a lot of the book is based on what she told me and what I discovered, um, in our conversations. And then of course I have all her drawing books. Um, Mm. she used to fill a scribbler every, every, you know, every few days basically and her diaries and her letters. So I have quite a, I was able to develop I think uh, quite a reliable quite a good insight um, into into what, how she experienced things In the last um, five minutes that
1: we have left you, I want to talk about affect ooh. and how you've been affected um, I, I, mm. I think we're going to have to do another show because um, there's so mm. much more here to explore we haven't even spoken about dad okay. about the in-laws yes. about life in Belgium there's so much more but I want to talk very <laughs> briefly in the time mm. we do have left Brent mm. if I may about how you were mm. affected it's really interesting listening to you responding to my questions, uh, because you mm. speak with a kind of control and a kind of analytic clarity that that is remarkable. Mm. And I think it connects with something you said a few minutes ago, mm. that you had to become a parent as a child very early mm. on. And can you describe to me then, I suppose with the same analytical mm. terms, uh, what the effect has been on you? Um, starting maybe as a child because there are many children mm. that have parents with a range of different uh, conditions, illnesses that they have mm. to battle. I mean, you write on page 82 mm. the following, for example. As a child, mm. I soon learned to control, some might say repress mm. my own emotions. I became afraid mm. of emotions in others. Unconstrained emotions were dangerous, volatile, unpredictable, destructive things, Mm. the prelude to madness, Mm. the first sign that you were about to be abandoned. I choked up while reading this book at several times because it Mm. was triggering. It reminded me of Mm. mental illness my sister had to deal with, that a cousin has to Mm. deal with, my own flirtations Mm. uh, with um, anxiety that I've had to deal with as well. And yet in, in, in the way in which you speak about, uh, your, your childhood, you write about it not in a detached manner, but with an incredible sort of matter of fact way. I mean, there's heart and soul in your writing, but there's also an incredible ability to sort of be in charge. Is that part of the consequence of having to be an adult as a child? Yeah, and um, uh, yes it is.
0: It's definitely that's you you've put your finger on it. It's absolutely correct. Um I'm very good in a crisis.
1: <laughs> it was a sort of I'll call really, you then. I'm I really, <laughs>
0: yeah, no, that's uh, from experience. Um, i you know, if something really horrible happens or there's a terrible accident or something I'm I'm Called cool calm. Yeah, cool, calm totally collected, I never lose it <laughs> I get everything organized for that and so my friends have relied on me for that uh, previously, um, so yes so so, that, so it's a lot of control you learn to control, yeah there's a lot of self-control that's involved and, and self-discipline and
1: um, yeah And, and how I do you feel that about that? From that? What has that done to your well, dating uh, game for example? <laughs> Are you hard to get through? Are you hard to have tears <laughs> inducing you?
0: Yes well, well, no, that there is, you know, there's definitely an element there that I can be, you know, I can be strangely absent, even though I'm, I'm very present and I'm terribly interested in people. I'm deeply curious about people, but I can be very oddly removed from, the, from a situation. Um, and that's just, you know, that is part of the coping mechanisms which I, you know, which I needed, you know, to deal with my mom in that way and yeah. with, with my parents. So it was the only way to deal with it. Was that one had to. Um, that makes But sense. on the other side, mm. yes, I would. For years, I had repeated. Nightmares. Um, in fact, I still have nightmares, so sleeping was always an issue. Um, one has enormous, one has abandon, abandonment issues. One's extremely, you know, weary, weary of, 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 of that. That was going to be life. the last
1: consequence um, of your mom's uh, condition oh. that I was going <laughs> to ask you about in the two mm-hmm. minutes that mm-hmm. I left. You showed mm-hmm. deep empathy for her sense of abandonment that she must be experiencing mm-hmm. in several regards. Mm-hmm. There is the fear mm-hmm. that I will never see my children again her first child Mm. gets taken away from her in a marriage that goes awry before the second one and that's because Mm. she's unable to look after it and hubby just doesn't have the resources Mm. to deal with it The child Mm. comes back Mm. decades later to look for his biological mom Mm. and and Mm. you understand that she herself knows when I go to Falkenberg, when I go to uh, the Mm. other place then there's a chance that I won't Mm. see my kids again so you show empathy for Mm. her but what I really Mm. love is a paragraph I want to to end with and, and give you a minute to reflect mm. on that I think speaks to how important it is for us to really 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 pay attention to children mm. and what happens to them in families where children have to survive and understand be confronted with a parent that is going through this horror of um, being diagnosed with schizophrenia and this is what Brent mm. writes on page 87 If I suffer separation, anxiety, and abandonment fears because my mother was in and out of a mental institution when I was a child, she too suffered from fear of desertion and loneliness. That's such a deeply, deeply empathetic sentence. I really want to honor you for that. You continue and then you write, I've had to conquer those fears. She never did. Psychotherapists who treat the children of schizophrenics are professionally cautioned not to cancel appointments or be late for sessions with our type. We see it as an act of desertion, as a breach of trust, not a minor inconvenience. It is not only that we suffered abandonment by our parents when they had spells in institutions and we were at a fragile age, but also that our mothers and fathers would abandon us even while they were bodily present when their minds deserted them, mm. I mean that—that that is out of this world. And when I read that, I thought mm. to myself, "Oh God, you better not cancel the interview or be late for it, otherwise you <laughs> might feel abandoned." <laughs> in a minute, you just speak I, into that for me. <laughs> I, I'm extremely punctual. <laughs> uh, very, 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 uh, yes, I, I'm
0: very, very punctual. I mean, in fact, it's almost a joke with with, with friends uh, that I never uh, <laughs> miss anything. I'm always, you know, I'm always exactly. The same. I even cram in extra things to do on the way to try and be on time instead of early. I still made it somehow, um, so I'm glad you didn't cancel. <laughs> yes, no, but it is true. It is true. I mean, it's part of our part of our insecurities. You know, you, we've grown up with that. But you know, I also describe in the book how it's also a pain, a, you put a pane of glass between yourself and your family, and I, I still have that in a way. And that, mm-hmm. and that was part of one had to insulate oneself certainly. Um, you know, yeah. uh, and yet. You know, the, the other thing that I understood at such an early age, and I think that's important, that's where the empathy comes from, was that somehow I understood that it wasn't her fault. Yes. Um, and so, yes, there was, there was actually child abuse going on. I mean, if you look at it in an objective way, but she never ever tried deliberately to hurt me. She never ever, you know, she was an extremely loving and caring mother, but, because of her her mental condition, mm. uh, obviously there was neglect. Obviously there was a whole range of Absolutely. unstable, yeah. um, an unstable, you know, childhood mm. um, that you were not in a safe space. And I think it's about that safe space.
1: Yeah, 100%. But then
0: I've done the opposite. You know, I've actually put myself out there very often, yeah. and, and deliberately, in spaces that aren't safe. Mm. And I think that's also maybe an effect um, of, uh, of of the childhood. Well,
1: mm. congratulations on a beautiful book. Oh. Are digital copies Thank available you. during these? lockdown times while we can't buy a hard copy?
0: Mm. Yes, um, yes, I believe, uh, according to the publishers, on about 40 platforms. So okay, so people so can find it on be their be preferred platform, yeah. And
1: yeah in, absolutely, yeah, and I, I highly recommend it. The e-books. Brent, yeah. we're going to do a second installment yeah, at some point, you. but I, honestly, I feel honored oh, for the great. last 30 minutes. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. That's Brent Meersman, who wrote A Childhood Made Up, Living With My Mother's Madness.